Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? Which NFL franchise is in worse shape right now? The Bears or Broncos? We'll discuss it the first NFL power rankings of the season. Plus, we each have our betting locks of the week. A lot to talk about today, but joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? I'm locked and I'm loaded and I'm ready to unload. I have a lot to say. Let's just jump right into it. <laughs> all right, Alex. Yeah, th- like I said, a lot to get to. We always have a lot to get to every week, but man, what a week of NFL and college football. Ton of stuff to get to, no doubt about it. Let's start right here, Alex. The Twitter poll question of the week. At PGF Podcast, if you guys aren't following on Twitter, definitely hit us up on X, but I'm, I'm not going to, who calls it that, for real? Seriously, it's Twitter. We know what it is. At PGF Podcast, guys, give it a follow. Which NFL franchise is in worse shape right now? The Broncos or Bears? This question got a lot of traffic. A lot of you guys responded. 57% are saying the Bears are in worse shape. 43% are saying the Broncos. Now, I want to dive into these two franchises because right now they both look terrible. I want to start with the Chicago Bears, though. Because the Bears are terrible. We've, we've seen it now. This team is a mess. Justin Fields looks like a bust. I mean, there's just no easy way around it. I had decently high hopes for this kid coming out of college. I liked the athletic ability and the skill set, but he just has not been able to put it together. But here's the thing about the Bears. They can easily pivot and draft a new quarterback this coming April. They're going to be in a position to get one of the top quarterbacks, I'm sure. It looks like they're headed that way. And they can hire a new coach. So from the Bears' perspective, I'm a little surprised by the Twitter results that almost 60% of you guys said the Bears are in worse shape. Yes, the product on the field has been bad, and this team has a lot of rebuilding still to do. But when you look at the two key positions, quarterback and head coach, those can easily be changed in Chicago. The Broncos, however, are stuck. They are clearly stuck right now with Russell Wilson clearly not looking like the same quarterback anymore. And with Sean Payton, who's been a disappointment as a head coach, this organization needs to blow this up and start over. But the problem is, what do you do, Alex? The contract is in place for several years, from dead cap money to cap space to the bonus they paid him. It's a mess. Denver is just kind of stuck with Russ right now. He has zero trade value, none. They just paid Sean Payton this huge contract. So you can't really move off of him anytime soon. So you can't really get rid of either one of these guys. If they get a really high draft pick, which I think they might in April, the question is, do they draft a quarterback and just cut Russell Wilson? Do they take on that enormous dead cap hit for, it looks like a year before it accelerates on your books and just roll with a young quarterback and move on? I mean, they've invested so much money in draft picks into Russell Wilson and now Sean Payton. And this doesn't look like it's going to work, Alex. It is a total mess in Denver. Absolutely. So I, I took a I took the liberty to take a look at Russell Wilson's contract. So if we're talking cutting him to your point at the beginning of the next season, which will be the 2024 season, if they cut him before 6-1, it's an $85 million dead cap hit in 2024 and a cap savings of negative basically $50 million. And even if they do a post-6-1 release, it's a $35 million cap hit in 2024 a $50 million cap hit in 2025, and there's no cap savings. So they're, to your point, they're absolutely stuck. Even if they trade him, it's a $68 million cap hit and a cap savings of a negative 32.6. This does not bode well for a team that just signed. Mike McGlinchey did a whole bunch of signings last year to bring in a lot of defensive players like Randy Gregory and so on and so forth. And let's also remember they have the guy that we consider the number one cornerback in our and from our rankings preseason, which is Paxic Sertain. He's also do a deal, and we know what type of deal the cornerbacks have been getting. So they're not in a situation where they can cut 
Russell Wilson and be able to hold on to the team. They would have to do a lot of, they would have to have one heck of a capologist to make this all work the way they need it to work. Now, let's kind of talk about the game for a moment, and then we can get to the Bears and, and Justin Fields, and we'll talk about that game. You know, 70 to 20. Unless you're a Madden player, those or even a Tecmo Bowl, but I even went back as far as Tecmo Bowl when you just zigzag with uh, Bo Jackson all game long, do you get 70 points in a game? That is the most points scored in a game since 1966. So not even what we would con- probably consider the modern era. So any who has scored it's all been between 49 between 1949 and 1966 until 2023 when somebody scored 70 points on a broncos defense that has been a top 10 defense over the past i believe four to five years so we know and the defense has not changed that much they've only added to the defense the only person that they truly lost was Bradley Chubb, and that was the person they traded. And Von Miller, who was getting a little bit long in the tooth to be an anchor, was moved as well. However, they still maintain being a top 10 defense after moving both of those players. So there's issue number one. Issue number two, please, and I always encourage anybody to go back and listen to what we talked about prior to the season and and a lot of things that we said. One of the things that I pointed out, I said this season for the Broncos is going to be very interesting because if this does not work, Everyone is going to look at Russ and not look at Sean Payton. And the problem here to me, and I've said it before, I've said it on air, I've said it off air. This problem to me, I'm sorry, folks, this is Sean Payton. This is not all on Russ. Russ is being used as a game manager a lot from what I've seen. I mean, if you throw the ball 34 times and you have 177 yards, you're a game manager. I went back and I looked at Seattle, his 7-10 and 10 year where he got hurt. Anytime Russ threw over 30 times, he was over 200 yards, closer to 300 yards passing the ball with the exception of when he came back from the injury. It was a little bit shaky, but he was coming back from injury. But if you go through his history, this person has always been a successful quarterback win or lose has been a successful quarterback when he's thrown the ball 30 times or more in terms of what he's been able to generate with that offense. This is Sean Payton not changing and adapting to the style of team that he currently has on the, that he has with the roster of players that he has. He's not running the ball. That's plain and simple number one. Even if you want to throw out this 70, this 70 burger, he's not running the ball. When you look at Sean Payton, I was going through I was going through the years. There were times in the year where he threw 672 times and ran about 380. This is not a person who's coaching a balanced offense. When y'all went back and I looked at Russ throughout the years, he was maybe anywhere between under 100, uh, maybe about 100 to maybe 150 more at the most in terms of pass to run. And that's after Marshawn Lynch, for anybody who's saying, well, he had Marshawn Lynch. Well, even after Marshawn Lynch, with Rawls, with the Chris Carsons, they were still managing a balanced attack. And currently right now, they have thrown the ball 104 times to 65 times. He's not running the ball. Russ is most effective when you're using a balanced offense and he can play off of the run. So a lot of what I really see is that Pete Carroll was right in the way that he coached Russ, even though there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, screams from the gallery talking about let Russ cook, but he seemed to have control and understand who the player was and coached his player to his strengths. And what I see with Sean Payton, he's not coaching the players to his strength on the offensive side. Now, defensively, again, we alluded to the fact that this has been the top 10 defense ever since Vic Fangio took it over and built this team. This has been a top 10 defense, even up to last year. Remember the whole thing. If Russ had, if the Broncos had simply scored 19 points throughout the first 10 games, they'd have been nine and one. And because the offense was inept, they looked very bad offensively, but the defense was holding everything together. But now same defense, New defensive coordinator brought in by Sean Payton, Vance Joseph, and now this defense is last in the NFL, giving up the most yards allowed overall throughout the entire NFL. So I'm sorry, folks. If you want to look at Russ, you're looking at the wrong person. The buck stops at the head coach. If you're blaming Neil Hackett for everything last year, then keep the same energy and look at Sean Payton. Because this is something that I brought up about him, and I said I'm not sure if he's what people keep alluding to what he is. Because we're, and clearly we're not seeing it right now. Now the season is still young. Maybe he can go in depth. Maybe have a conversation with his mentor Bill Parcells, and maybe he can change some things around. Because obviously this is a very talented team. We know that there's some wide receivers missing, but the running game and every they brought in Mike McGlinchey to shore up that offensive line. We know the def- defense still has the same defenders of last year. So the only difference is the coaching. 
That's the only difference here. Now, Russ has looked a little bit better. His completion percentage is better. But this defense is simply not holding its weight to help Russ out and help get some wins. Now, what we just saw, this 70-20, to that is absolutely ridiculous. I don't even know. This is not one of those things I think you can go and bury the tape. You need to dig through this and find out what happened. Because we saw what happened with New England last week. A rookie, Christian Gonzalez, held Tyreek Hill to 40 yards. Even though he scored a touchdown, he held him to 40 yards. And the cheetah ran wild on Patrick Sertain in that defense yeah, uh, Sunday. So I'm not sure what's going on in Denver. You're absolutely right in terms of the Twitter poll question. They look like the team that is in worse position than the Bears. Because at least the Bears have some outs. But right now, from a contract standpoint, from a salary cap standpoint, Denver is simply stuck. They have to make this work. Yeah, and I don't see it working, Alex. I just don't see this whole thing working out. It's not a good fit. It's just not a good fit. This is not a Sean Payton type of quarterback. When you look at the success he had with Drew Brees, Drew Brees' style is so far from what, what Russell Wilson is as a quarterback. You're absolutely right about the running game and the balance. It's something that they haven't been able to do. They haven't been able to get it going. And Russell's always had the most success when they run the ball, like you pointed out. And I thought this offseason, it really looked like that's what they were going to lean into that after going and signing two offensive linemen, two guards who were better run blockers than they were pass blockers. That was kind of the messaging that I got. It's like, okay, they're beefing up that old line so that they can run the ball and try to recreate some of the things that, they, that Russ did well in Seattle which was running the ball, setting up the play action, the bootlegs and the rollouts and doing some of the things he does. That's not really what Sean Payton does well. This has just been a colossal failure. Now, Russ has been better since Sean Payton's came in, but the stats don't tell the whole story here because when you watch the tape, he just, like I said earlier, he just doesn't look like that guy anymore. He doesn't have the zip on his throws. He's not as accurate as he once was. He still takes way too many sacks and holds on to the ball way too long. And when you look at what Sean Payton does, it's a rhythm and timing-based offense. Russ has always been better, a little more off-script, a little more of a playmaker than a traditional sit-in-the-pocket-and-throw-darts type of quarterback. So everything about this fit is not working. They've got to get this thing figured out. As far as the defense, you're right. Hiring Vance Joseph clearly was a huge mistake. This defense has gone from one of the better units in the league to absolutely garbage. The Dolphins, now look, we'll jump into the Dolphins here in a minute. The Dolphins' offense is awesome. I don't want to take anything away from this offense. It's been the best in the NFL so far. But this was ridiculous. They ran for 350 yards and five touchdowns while dropping 70 points, 726 total yards in this game. Tua had only three incompletions. I mean... This was ridiculous. This goes beyond video game stats. This is just stupid. By the fourth quarter, Tua and Hill were on the sideline. Waddle missed this entire game, by the way. And the backups were in, and they were moving the ball and putting up points. This offense is scary good, but this defense in this Broncos franchise is a total mess. And yes, the Bears are in a much better situation because yes, I think we've decided now Justin Fields is not the guy and it's starting to look more and more like Matt Eberflus is not the guy either to be the head coach. But they, like you said, they have some outs here. This is going to be an easy fix, so to speak, or at least you can take another crack at it with a new coach and quarterback in April. Denver is stuck because these guys are getting paid like a top five coach and a top five quarterback. And right now, neither one of them look anywhere close. Right, right. You know, and you know, let let's let's move on to the Bears and what we saw Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes like things. I mean, I didn't really know if I was watching the Bears versus the the, the Bears and Chiefs or if I was watching a Taylor Swift concert. I'm not sure the way TV just kept swinging to her every time Patrick. I'm um, excuse me, every time <laughs> Travis Kelsey made a play, it was just the Taylor Swift show. But Let's let's start with the Bears, and then we can talk about the Chiefs. You know, early in the week, a lot of what, in terms of what Justin Fields was talking about, he blamed a lot of what was happening on coaching. And to me, this is Baker Mayfield-ish, if that makes sense, when Baker Mayfield was going in on the coaching staff or the health staff or whatever was going on over there in Cleveland. And now, without having proven anything in this league, Justin Fields is saying a lot of what's happening to him is coaching. Well, 
Welcome to Pine Glass Football, where we look at tape. And Brad, I've said it last week, I'll say it again. I send Brad tape all the time, looking at different plays and different quarterbacks, not just Justin Fields, but we are watching the tape. And Justin, you are not seeing the field. There's a time when we can look at coaching, similar to what I just did with Russell Wilson, or we can do when we look at, uh, excuse me, the Chargers. But here, you're not making the simple throws and there are wide open plays. There's a guy on Twitter. I'm sorry. I can't remember his name. He literally goes through every, he's a Bears fan. He goes through every single Justin Fields snap for every single game. He posts it. We can clearly see that you are not seeing the field. So before you want to start pointing fingers at the coaching, we have to kind of look at ourselves and saying, well, what am I not doing? Am I playing up to my caliber of where I was drafted and what my projection was coming into this league? So the Bears sitting in a great space. They made that great trade, moving, uh, trading with Carolina, getting a, a lot of picks, getting DJ Moore as well. So they have some weapons on the, They have some weapons on the team. They've been trying to shore up that offensive line. They got to do some things defensively because Travis Kelsey, who a lot of people call Tremaine Edmonds, the second best middle linebacker behind Roquan Smith, he was simply getting abused by Travis Kelsey was abusing him. And that did not look like a guy that should, that should be the second or first or the top paid middle linebacker in the league. So he didn't look like himself. So I don't even know Matt Eberfus, as you alluded to, Brad, being the defensive coach, he didn't look like he had this team ready to play. I do understand Eddie Jackson was out. The other part to this now is where I will pull back a little bit. I don't know what's going on with the running game in Chicago as well. I mean, you moved on from David Montgomery. I'm not sure why. He's actually a, 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 de- a pretty decent back, but you moved on from him. You brought in Dante Foreman. And as I've been looking as a fantasy owner and as a person that looks at tape and <laughs> does this podcast, he's been a healthy scratch for three straight weeks. So, Brad, I'm confused on what's going on there because Dante Foreman had kind of rebuilt his career and what he did in Tennessee and what he did in Carolina, looking like he was finally back on track. But I'm not sure what's going on there, why he's a healthy scratch. So that's a big blow to the running game because Khalil Herbert is not a bell cow, but those two guys together is a formidable tandem that could help out this offense. So I'm not sure what's going on there. We can probably maybe, if you want to look at Luke Getze, maybe we can, maybe we can't, but I can't look at Luke Getze without looking at Justin Fields and saying, you're not seeing the field of the way because we're watching you miss plays. You know, Brad, and looking at the Bears as you go through their history of really never having a franchise quarterback or anything like that, but even if you go back to Lovey Smith, the Bears fired Lovey Smith when he, the team went 10 and 6. And in 11 seasons later, the Bears have had only one winning season since then. This is now also looking like an organizational problem. However, I do want to give Ryan Pohl some grace here. He seems that he tried to do a lot of things this season, this offseason to help this team, especially specifically offensively. But you're right. You alluded to it earlier. Perhaps it may be time that he needs to move on from the coach, move on from the coaching staff, rather, and perhaps move on from Justin Fields as well. Now, if you want to switch really quick to the other side of the ball, Kansas City seems to be back on track. Travis Kelsey, excuse me, is healthy, looking like he's back on track. They're moving the ball. Pacheco looked like he's finally over. He had a slow start. He was coming off the injury from the Super Bowl. So he looks like he's up and running. Jerick McKinnon, the engine is starting to turn over, and now it seems warm. And now it looks like they may be about to take off. So there's really not too much to say about that in terms of what the Chiefs are. They are who we thought they were, and they're beginning to play like who we thought they should be playing like that. A lot of us had them not winning that first game against Detroit, so it wasn't a shock to a lot of us. But now it seems like they got the engine revved, it's warmed up, and they're ready to take off. Every week, Alex, we have to talk about the Chargers and Brandon Staley. It, it, every week. And look, they get the win, but we've got to talk about this because he goes for it on fourth down and one on their own 24-yard line. I remember you texted me when this game was going on, and I was shaking my head too because when the Vikings had no timeouts with less than two minutes left in this game, he goes for it. Not only does he go for it, but they run this stupid running play to a backup running back, which gets stuffed. His defense bails him out in this situation, which is shocking because that's his side of the ball, and we know how bad they've been. But they actually come up with a stop And I think it's the only thing that kept him from probably getting fired after this game was over. I'm not sure why he didn't get fired anyway. 
This has been a train wreck since the day he arrived. This offense puts them in every single game. They put them in a situation to win, and Staley seems to always find ways to screw it up. Even in a win, this was awful. I mean, I don't know what else the offense could have done. I mean, Justin Herbert was 40 for 47 for 405 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, only sacked once. Hell, even Keenan Allen threw a 49-yard touchdown. (laughs) So the offense was clicking even though – Austin Eckler was missing. They only had 30 yards rushing. So even without one of their best weapons on the field, they were still able to go out there. And, oh, by the way, Mike Williams got hurt and unfortunately is out for the season. Fantasy note, go and pick up Quentin Johnson quick. But what we're looking at here is still Brandon Staley making boneheaded plays. And even on the other side, Kevin O'Connell, this is now, I think, is this the second or third week, Brad, that I'm, I've been upset with Kevin O'Connell and his play calling and his coaching? He's not coaching to the level that he was coaching last year. And I'm not sure if it's because of the running game, because although Alex, Alexander Madison had 97 yards rushing, Kirk Cousins, to me, is fine. There's always this talk about trade and this and that, and he's not this. Kirk Cousins is exactly who Kirk Cousins was going to be. He's actually overachieved in this league, if we want to be honest, as a fourth-round pick. Any other team that needed a quarterback, they'd probably be sitting in a better position right now. So I don't think Kirk Cousins is the issue here. I think Kevin O'Connell has too many toys between Jordan Addison, KJ Osborne, as well as Justin Jefferson, and as well as TJ Hawkinson. He's not balancing everything out. I know they don't have a running game, but he's not balancing everything out. We know the defense is not going to be good at all, but this offense should be booming and averaging at least 25 or more points a game simply because of the firepower that they have and what they can do through the air. But back to Brandon Staley. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've often said that at some point I can't look at the players and I can't look at coaching. I have to start to look at the front office. And for years we have talked about the charges and the amount of talent that they've had, but the lack of coach, excuse me, bad coaching, or maybe somebody got injured or whatever the situation is, they've always fallen short because they have, they should have definitely made within the, in the last 20 years, they sh- this team has, should have at least made one and or two Super Bowls and perhaps one one as well with all the talent that has come through the doors, through those charger doors, and they simply keep consistently failing, keep mismanaging coaching. We all know that Sean Payton should be in Los Angeles and should not be in Denver. Um, Again, we talked about how cheap the ownership may be or what's going on over there, but there needs to be a big shakeup and they need to get serious because they have an opportunity here with Justin Herbert with a lot of these weapons that they have to do something, at least be competitive, and they simply consistently keep failing because this is a game they should have lost if not for bad coaching. This is a game that they 1,000% should have lost. And one thing of note that I want to mention, a year ago they made a huge defensive signing in J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson was a healthy scratch maybe one or two games last year as well as playing bad. And J.C. Jackson was a healthy scratch this game when you were going to face Justin Jefferson, this is guy is supposed to be your number one. So I don't know. There's a there's a lot that needs to there, there needs to be a, a cleansing throughout the entire Charger organization because you know the, some of these signings don't make sense. J.C. Jackson, they gave a, I believe they made him the highest paid corner at the time. It's just been disastrous with him and then the coaching as well. God bless the Chargers, but you guys need to figure it out. Alex, I want to shift to the Dallas Cowboys because. This was a fascinating game. The Cowboys fell apart in the red zone in this game. They lose to the Cardinals. That was a shocking loss. I'm not sure right now that I'm buying into McCarthy's offense and his play calling so far this year. The Cowboys scored 16 points on eight drives and went just one for five in converting red zone trips into touchdowns in just two of its six red zone trips into touchdowns against the Jets. So, I don't like the trend that I'm seeing with Dallas. They had that big blowout win week one against the Giants where basically everything that could go wrong for New York went wrong. They roll and have this huge win. But the last two weeks, this team looks like it's kind of moving in the wrong direction here, and it really showed up in this Arizona game. Now, maybe this is a throwaway game versus a scrappy Arizona team that's just playing hard every week. But right now, I'm not very impressed by Dallas and this offensive trend. The defense gave up seven explosive plays to the Cardinals. That was shocking. I know they've got a great defense and a great pass rush and Micah Parsons and all these playmakers. I get it. Arizona moved the ball a lot easier than I expected in this one. The number one thing that the Cowboys had an issue with last year 
reared his ugly head again. This game, it had one issue and one issue only. 30 carries for 222 yards at 7.4 yards a clip. That's the problem with the why the Cowboys lost this game. The issue they had last year, not being able to stop the run. We thought getting Mozzie Smith, we thought bringing in Jonathan Hankins was going to be able to shore up that line. There was no one on that field to stop the run. I mean, even Joshua Dobbs had 55 yards rushing. And Jane Connor, you know, he was running at seven yards a clip for 14 times for 98 yards. But for a total of 200, they rushed for 222 yards to passing for 189. That This was the problem. This is what the Cowboys could not do last year. And this is what they had not been able to. It seems the first two games, yes. But this game, it got exposed. That running game was exposed. And their defense was on the field too long to be able to hold anything. So I think that is what I'm, when I look at this team and I, when I look at this game, that was the main issue. For all intents and purposes, the Cowboys held this held the ball for 35 minutes to the Cardinals 26 minutes. So they had opportunities to score. They could not get it done to the point that you made about Mike McCarthy and what they're doing on offense. Now I was a proponent against Tony Pollard initially when we spoke about Dallas preseason, but now it looks like Tony Pollard is making me look like a fool, which is fine, but there's something going on with this offense because it actually has been shaky. I don't know, Mike McCarthy, you're going to have to write this ship as well because you're talked about in the Super Bowl bubble. We know a few people have not only chosen you to win the division, but also chosen you to make a Super Bowl push this year. So, Mike McCarthy, I don't know if that seat's getting a little warm, but you may want to get some mace with a glass of water next to you. Yeah, you're right. That rush defense was terrible again in this game. And if you're an Eagles fan, you've got to be licking your lips thinking, man, this Cowboys team has no chance against the Eagles if they're going to not be able to stop to run like that. But as far as the offense, it looks stale is really the best way I can put it. Like they're moving the ball okay between the 20s, but when it really matters, this offense has stalled way too often in the red zone, especially in the last couple of weeks. So they've got to figure out that side of the ball. You're right. Tony Pollard looks good. They've got the weapons. We know the players are in place. I, I don't know if it's just the new play calling, a little bit of this new West Coast what did he call it? Texas West Coast offense or whatever the heck he ended up naming this offense. It Something's missing here. The Houston Texans, it's early, but I like what I've seen from C.J. Stroud. This kid is really playing some good ball here, Alex. He's playing like he should have been this year's number one overall pick. He completed 66.7% of his passes for 280 yards and two touchdowns versus Jacksonville. He was really impressive in this game. So far, he is taking care of the ball, and he's making plays for this offense. And this was with an offensive line last Sunday that was missing four starters. Pretty impressive game for this young quarterback in this Texans team. Yep, and all you Ohio State fans that are always inboxing me and saying whatever I say, you know what? Perhaps you have one, but I will reserve my take until the end of the year. But to your point, Brad, up until this point, C.J. Stroud has been looking like he should have been the number one pick. He looks He's looking like a quarterback that we saw in Ohio State making quick decisions, making the right plays. Defensively, we knew this would, they were going to have some players and it was going to look good simply because of D'Amico Ryan's, his connection to the team, his ability to coach defense. We saw what he did with San Francisco, but now he's taking his show on the road and has it looking really good in Houston right now. Will Anderson looking like a guy off the edge, looking like he was worth trading up to that number three pick to pick back-to-back picks. But he has these guys playing and they are playing hard. Irrelevant. They, to me, the, the record is irrelevant. They're competing at every level. And that's what you want to see from your team to be able to say, hey, we're moving in the right direction. I mean, nobody, I know nobody in fantasy had anybody named Tank Dell starting. So he's pulling out, in terms of CJ Stroud, he's pulling offerings from wherever, whether it be Tank Dell, Robert Woods, Nico Collins, Devin Singletary, or Damian Pierce. He's doing what needs to be done and getting the ball to the players into the right pockets to make the right plays. Now, on the other hand of that, a team that we thought was going to really be in position, I don't want to say to run away with the South, but at least to be the leading contender in the South, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is back-to-back losses now, Kansas City, and now to Houston Texans. This one is a bad loss. 37-17, to this means you were not competitive. One thing's for sure, D'Amico Ryan's definitely took away Calvin Ridley. 
because he was not a he was a non-factor in this game altogether. But Trevor Lawrence, he looked like he was pressing and forcing throws that he didn't need to force. But I do have faith in Doug Peterson to get in the film room, to get Trevor Wright, to write the ship, and to have a run going into the next few weeks. It might be time for us to pump the brakes on the Jaguars. Now, now look, I think this is a team that can bounce back and still be competitive this year. I'm, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on this team, but maybe the hype this offseason got a little bit too much because I'm with you. Not just us, every person in the media, in the sports media, basically picked them to win this division. I mean, everybody. And myself included here, I'm pointing the finger at myself here because we both thought that this is a team that would not only win this division, but run away with it, that Trevor Lawrence and this offense and this team was going to really take a big step forward this year. And right now, it doesn't look that way. It it really just doesn't. So they're going to have to get right. Next week is going to be an important game for them. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. How about the Packers, Alex? Huge comeback win versus the Saints. I know Derek Carr got hurt. I get it. But that doesn't affect the defense. So what this team did to come back against that defense late in the game, really impressive stuff. Jordan Love, look, he might never be Rodgers or Favre, but they found their guy. And this is going to be the next quarterback in Green Bay probably for the next 10 years. I think the Packers are really going to hit their stride when they get some of their key offensive starters back from injury, because we haven't even really seen this team at full strength. And here they are two and one and a a close loss away from being three and Oh, really solid start for the Green Bay Packers team. I like what I've seen from love. I like what I've seen from this franchise moving forward out of the Aaron Rodgers era and doing it the right way. Yeah, Brad. I mean, two point comeback when, for Green Bay, that means this team is being coached very well. That means Jordan Love is bought in. That means a lot of these other, other players have bought in as well to fight back from 17 down in the fourth quarter to score 18 points to come back and win this game. Jordan Love threw the ball 44 times. Obviously, at this point, this is not what you want this player to be doing, but it had to be done, and he came in, and he showed up, and he showed out. Miss, still missing Christian Watson, still missing Aaron Jones, 
AJ Dillon did not have the game that we thought he would have had as a sec as the second running back on this team. We thought a little bit. I thought, or rather, I thought a lot highly of him. I started him in fantasy, but he didn't deliver in terms of what we thought. But Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed, I believe Jaden Reed dropped a touchdown pass in this game too, if I'm not mistaken. So he seems to be getting open, and if they can clean up the drops, they have a three-headed monster once Christian Watson comes back. And let's also add in Luke Musgrave, who seems to be the best rookie tight end out there outside of, you know, we thought we would see more from Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer, but we haven't seen anything from either of them. It's really been the Luke Musgrave show and Sam Laporta as well. I want to give a shout-out to him. But shout-out to the Packers. This is big. You don't have Aaron Rodgers. Everybody counted you out, well, except Pint Glass Football, because we picked you to win the division, so we're not surprised. But this was a very impressive win. Good for the Packers. Good for Jordan Love. I want to shift gears to a guy who I think is doing a really great job, and that's Shane Steichen, first-year head coach in Indy. Big win over the Ravens. This is the team, they're just grinding out games with a less talented roster, and a lot of it, I'm pointing back to is the coaching Alex. I've been impressed with what he's been able to do with this roster and with this staff here, but the Baltimore Ravens new offensive system. I think at this point it's safe to say it's still a work in progress. I think it's coming along. They've had flashes where it's looked good, but they're still kind of ironing out the kinks here. I think by week six or seven, we should really know by then just how good this Ravens offense can be. But Nice win by Indy. They've really been a surprising team so far this year. I'm not super concerned about the Ravens. I still think they're fine. Uh, Like I said, I think this is a team that's still kind of working things out, but a lot of injuries once again. I don't know why that continues to be the story in Baltimore. I do not understand it. It feels like every year this team just loses key players early in the year, throughout the year it just seems like they're never at full strength look I get injuries are a part of football but what is it about this team that is just always injury riddled but with that being said nice win by the Colts yeah nice win I mean no Anthony Richardson you go with Gardner Mitchell who's a proven who's a proven backup and oh Zach Moss decided to show up in lieu of not having Jonathan Taylor still, Zach Moss ripped off 30 carries for 122 yards so that was key to them winning the game you know, I, I watched this game. I looked at the tape of this game. <sighs> Initially, I liked a lot what I was seeing from Lamar Jackson early on. But now it looks like this offense, this game reverted back to the old, I don't want to say old Lamar Jackson, but the old Ravens offense where it was just really a lot of Lamar Jackson trying to be a playmaker and not be a quarterback that that has the ability to make plays. You know, you talked about the injuries. I'm fine with that. J.K. Dobbins has been in the league four years. He's been hurt three of the four. Okay, so we're accustomed to him being injured, which is why you kept a guy like Gus Edwards around. And you also have Melvin Gordon on the practice squad, which you brought up. So that running game is going to take a little bit of dip in terms of splash because J.K. Dobbins is more of a home run hitter, whereas Gus Edwards is more of a hammer. But you had that. You still ran for 30. You still ran for 186 yards and two touchdowns, albeit 101 of them by Lamar. The Zay Flowers, I know he's an intermediate runner, but I think if you're going to be without Odell Beckham Jr., I think you can move Zay Flowers around a lot more. And this is a guy that can get separation. And perhaps to your point, Brad, as we matriculate through the season, we'll start to see the playbook open up a little bit more and get some of those plays. Rashad Bateman, a former number one pick, he seems to be falling out of favor. And Nelson Aguilar seems to be stepping up and taking more snaps from him. Mark Andrews didn't look like Mark Andrews, but we can maybe attribute that to the Colts defense. Maybe they need to start implementing some of those Zay Flower plays that extend plays instead of these short routes and hoping that maybe he breaks one, but extend him out some more, use his playmaking ability, use his ability to separate from defenders and find open spaces where this guy can get loose and make some plays for you because he was the best wide receiver in the draft. But we have to give a lot of credit. I don't want to overshadow what the Colts did and how they were coached to your point, Brad, but the Colts look good. They're battling away, and they did this again without Anthony Richardson. So when he comes back, and perhaps if Jonathan Taylor comes back and buys in, that South can get very, very interesting if a few of these teams start to roll. Before we move on, Alex, I want to get your thoughts here because there's been a lot of talk in the media, a lot of people suggesting 
that the Jets need to pick up the phone and either go after a free agent quarterback, go sign a free agent quarterback like a Matt Ryan or a Carson Wentz, or there's a lot of rumors about them potentially trying to make a swing at Kirk Cousins, maybe trying to trade for Kirk Cousins now that the Vikings find themselves in the situation they're in. The, the season hasn't gotten away from them just yet. So do you think they should make a move here one way or the other? So I'm going to put my CEO hat on here and I'm going to project out. I'm going to look at now and then I'm going to project out for for two years as well. So the first thing I do, I'm not making any big swings. You got your first round pick back because Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there. So you have your first round pick. That's a good thing in terms of retaining that pick. Now, I'm not going after Kirk Cousins where he's probably going to cost you maybe a, at least a second for the most part because you're desperate. So they're going to be able to get a second out of you. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe even maybe a third and a, and, a, and a fifth because I think the second goes to Green Bay in this instance. And I'm not looking at what their picks look like next year, but I think they would only have one second. So that one would actually go to Green Bay. And I would call up Joe Flacco. He was just there last year. He's a familiar with the players. You would, you would go and call him up. Bring him in. I'm not going to go and get Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers, or any of these Carson Wentz's or anything like that. I'm going to go get a, a veteran guy that's been in my building that knows my players. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I'm going to say something in terms of projecting out with my CEO hat on and forecasting. Jeff fans, you're not going to want I'm not going to like what I'm going to say, but give me a second. Just hear me out. Aaron Rodgers is going to play next year. And possibly, if we believe the Peter King talk that he's going to play he was going to play an extra year outside of these two years anyway so let's just say you have him for the next two years let's just say this season doesn't go as planned you battle 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 but you can't get ahead and you have a top 10 pick brad let me ask you a question would you say this is probably one of the better draft quarterback drafts coming up comparable to maybe 0304 with all the quarterbacks coming out on paper yes it, right. it's it's loaded probably right. five or six guys in the first round Right. Okay. So if you have so Jets, if you have a top ten pick, guess what you get to do? Aaron Rodgers already gave you back thirty seven million, so you have him for the next two years. Guess what you can do? Whatever quarterback is available at whatever pick that you're at, you can go and get that guy. And you can have him sit and you can train him up to take over in the next two years when Aaron Rodgers is gone. You know what that also allows you to do? That allows you to have a quarterback on a rookie salary that helps you maintain that defense because Sauce is going to, in those next two years, you're going to have to pay Sauce. You're going to have to pay Brees. You're going to have to pay Garrett Wilson amongst fixing that offensive line as well, which is atrocious, which we, and that's another thing I encourage you always listen to what we said previously before the season started, we pointed this issue out. Dwayne Brown is now on injured reserve. That's how I have to think about it when I look at it from a CEO. So it looks grim right now, and I understand it for Jet fans because there was so much hype, and then you get that letdown. They've been through this before with Vinny Testaverde as well, but it's going to be okay. I think you have a guy in Joe Douglas that's been that that's been comparable, that's been very smart with the draft picks and things that he's been able to do. Trust what your guy is doing, and again, just take what I just said. Just understand the perspective that I'm coming from when I say what I said. Three weeks into the season, I thought it was time to come out with the first PGF power rankings for the NFL. Let's start at number 10, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers finally gained 300 yards of offense after moving to that power blocking scheme that we saw on Sunday Night Football. I still don't trust this offense, but the defense could be for real. At number nine, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is going to be a tough out in the NFC. I love this two-headed monster that they have in the offensive balance in that running game with what we've seen from Zach Charbonnet coming over now with Kenneth Walker, this young defense. They've got players, but unfortunately for them, I think they're likely going to be playing for a wild card spot because San Francisco is just that good. At number eight, the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love right now has seven touchdown passes, only one interception. His passing and running the ball is awesome because he's making great decisions with the ball. He's taking care of the ball. I love the leadership, the clutch playmaking that I've seen from this guy. Young wide receivers look great. We talked about some pieces coming back. They're a legit NFC North contender. At number seven, the Detroit Lions. One overtime loss to Seattle from being 3-0 and to start the year. 
The defense looks way better than last year. The offense is eighth in yards per game. They're moving the ball. Goff is playing like a top 10 quarterback right now. If they find a more consistent running game, they're going to be a tough team to beat. At number six, the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys took the Cardinals lightly. I didn't like what I saw from them in that game. They came out flat. A loss of Trayvon Diggs. I think that's big as far as the big picture for Dallas this season. Still a good defense. Didn't like what I saw in that last game. But I don't think you can lose a top five cornerback and not take a step back. Really important game next week for Dallas. And number five, the Buffalo Bills. The Bills turned it around after week one with Josh Allen and this explosive downfield passing game. They shredded the Raiders and Commanders in the last two weeks. They've finally found a running game outside of Josh Allen, and I think that's the most encouraging thing. Allen's done a better job of taking care of the ball. The defense is looking pretty good, and all of a sudden this team's rolling again. At number four, the Philadelphia Eagles. Only 23rd in passing yards per game, but they just rushed for 200 yards on the Buccaneers, who were the second-ranked rush defense in the NFL going into that game. Hasn't always been easy, but they're 3-0. and At number three, the Miami Dolphins. The most explosive offense in the NFL. Probably the funnest team to watch in the league right now. They lead the NFL in total yards per game, passing yards, rushing yards. Now, the defense looks average right now, but I don't think they need to be great when you've got an offense like this. And number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs defense is the big story early in the season. The offense finally got it going versus Chicago. Alex talked about it. This team is starting to look right. Chicago was the perfect get right game for them, but they're starting to put it all together on both sides of the ball. At number one, A team that's had it together on both sides of the ball, the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are rolling right now. Brock Purdy is 8-0 in the regular season as a starter. San Francisco has won 13 in a row in the regular season. This is quite simply the most complete team in the NFL. Let's wrap up NFL Week 3 with the game ball of the week. Who's getting your game ball this week in the NFL? It's going to be Jordan Love. These are the type of wins that you get as a young QB that builds confidence. And I think this confidence is building. And like I said, when we talked about who we had winning the NFC North, we talked about Green Bay. And I think this is a big confidence getter. And again, he did it without Aaron Jones and without Christian Watson. And they will be back soon. I look for this offense to get better and be more explosive as they matriculate throughout the season. So Jordan Love, good job. 18 points, fourth quarter comeback. Good for you. My NFL game ball is going to go to Cleveland Browns edge defender, Miles Garrett. Man, he was dominant for the Browns, wrecking that Titans offense as a pass rusher. Five tackles, three tackles for a loss. He registered four sacks, a quarterback hit, and four quarterback pressures. A total game changer in this game versus the Titans. He was a one-man wrecking ball. College football week four was absolutely crazy. We had so many big-time ranked matchups. I want to jump into some of these games, Alex. I want to start with the biggest game, though. Notre Dame, Ohio State, huge matchup, lived up to the hype. Notre Dame, watching that game, Alex, they should have won that game. I mean, it was a great game. It was a close game, but it felt like Notre Dame was the better team. And look, I really like Marcus Freeman, the head coach at Notre Dame. But what in the heck are you doing with 10 guys on the field in the final two plays, especially coming out of a timeout and you have 10 guys on the field? None of this made any sense. And then after the game, he says he didn't want to take a risk at a penalty by trying to rush a guy onto the field. My question is, how does a penalty hurt you there? And the ball's on the one yard line. Look, I know in these pressure situations, When you're in a tight spot in the final seconds of a game, the game's on the line. It's not as easy to think about all the small details. You know, when we're sitting on a couch watching the game, it's a lot different than being in the moment. I get that. I'm not trying to beat up on Marcus Freeman, but this really hurts. I mean, this is a big loss. This is the kind of loss that could potentially keep Notre Dame out of the college football playoff. And look, he coached a great game. He had a great game plan but the most important coaching happens in those crucial situations, especially late and close games. 
That was an epic failure. Now, on the other side, Ohio State's biggest issue the last couple of years has been Michigan. And Michigan, has they've really struggled with the Wolverines because they've struggled with big physical teams that want to play smash mouth football. This is a big win for Ohio State because they won versus a team that plays that way in Notre Dame. Big, tough team in the trenches with a good defense that really slowed down their high-profile wide receivers, and they found a way to win in a fist fight. Alex, what did you what did you take away from this top ten matchup? Exactly what you spoke about, Marcus Freeman. This was a critical, critical matchup. This was a game changing error that you made that could have changed the fortunes of Notre Dame. Not saying they would have won a national title, but that would have catapulted you into a position to be in these playoffs and solidify that you are a real team. Because I think Ohio State. They're going to get picked off by somebody else. I thought it was going to be you because you were my betting choice in this situation. But I'm disappointed. I really, That game was very exciting. I mean, way more exciting than a couple other games that we're going to talk about later on. But I really wanted this really bad because I am rooting for Marcus Freeman. I'm actually rooting for Sam Hartman. I don't know why, but I'm rooting for Sam Hartman. So, But and I just thought those guys, those kids deserve that win. And it's unfortunate the way that it ended. But I, I mean, that was that was I don't I don't when I see coaching errors like that, it's very frustrating. It's very irritating to me because if I'm at home and I can immediately see it, I expect the professionals to always see it. But heartbreaking loss for those kids. I feel bad for those kids. I know Marcus Freeman is killing himself, but those kids, I mean, I know they played their hearts out and that was a game that they really wanted. We've got more college football games that I want to jump into, but I got to ask you first, what was worse? Marcus Freeman at the end of the game or Josh McDaniel's decision to kick the three points against Pittsburgh on Sunday night? Josh McDaniel. Only only reason I'm going to say that is because when you're doing line switches and you have alignments, that's not necessarily the head coach's job. It falls on him, but usually you have the position coach or whoever, whatever position was missing from that line, from that um, 10-man lineup, that 11th guy. Usually the position coaches get those guys ready to go on the field and make sure that they're there. That decision by Josh McDaniel was all on him. We all know that you needed to go for that. Devontae Adams was hot all night long. Nobody could do it. Patrick Peterson, Joey Porter, Micah Fitzpatrick, Troy Palomalu, Rob Wood. Nobody could do anything with him that night. You should have gone for it on fourth down. Yeah, I meant to bring that up earlier when we were talking NFL games because, yeah, that was absolutely terrible coaching. I'm watching that game going, what is he doing here? I mean, I kind of understood it from the standpoint of you've got three timeouts and the two-minute warning. So I get that with a three and out, you still have a chance there. But it's not like it was a 10-point game. It was an eight-point game. So I would have understood it if you needed a touchdown and a field goal. That would have made sense. But when you only are down eight, why aren't you going for the touchdown so you can then go for the two-point conversion to tie the game up? It was baffling. Just another baffling move by him. But, yeah, we saw some coaching blunders for sure speaking of coaching there's a coach that is getting a lot of attention in social media because of a pregame speech that went viral you already know who i'm talking about dan lanning and the oregon ducks in this huge game against colorado look oregon made a statement with this dominant win over colorado the Ducks scored touchdowns on six of its first seven possessions, while Colorado, on the other hand, began the game with eight consecutive punts. This was a total roster mismatch and, quite frankly, a program mismatch. Now, look, Dion has done a great job, and he's quickly turning around Colorado, which was a terrible program. And I got to give him a lot of credit. I I like what I've seen from this program. They're already ahead of schedule in a lot of ways. But this is exactly what most people thought would happen who really are paying attention to the sport because Oregon has been a perennial top 10, top 15 team for the last 25 years. I mean, this is a team that's won Rose Bowls, major bowl games, national titles. They've played in two national championships in the last 15 years. They've had first round draft picks in the last four straight NFL drafts, including three top 10 picks. This is a big-time college football program, an established culture. Dion's still trying to build that culture in Colorado. And Oregon head coach Dan Lanning, I mean, he took this one personal. I think coming into this game, 
it was obvious that Colorado was the one getting all the attention in the media leading up this game. Everyone's talking about them. And I think he took it as like, wait a second, we're Oregon. We're a top 10 team in the country right now. Why is everybody talking about Colorado? And this team came into this game fired up, ready to play, and they took it out on him. Quite frankly, this 42-6 to score, it could have been much, much worse because Oregon really took their foot off the gas in the second half, and they took out the majority of their starters at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're just bigger, better, stronger, and faster right now. Oregon's been you know, getting top five recruits for years. Dion just got there. They're just now getting a couple of top recruits, one, a few that he brought with him. So not to, I don't want to say I'm not surprised about the outcome. I'm not surprised that Oregon won. I'm just really surprised that Colorado didn't put up a bit of a better fight for the most part. And they didn't fix a lot of things that we saw that got exposed in the Colorado State game, which was teams are now going to be taking away your big plays. And it looks like Shiloh, excuse me, not Shiloh, Shador is still looking for those big plays. And instead of probably going to who should be made into a top draft pick whenever he's eligible, going more to the tight end and Michael Harrison. I think there's something to be said that on that offensive side of the ball, they're going to need to do some things to try and understand that they're not going to be able to go deep. He was holding the ball too long, looking for the big play that was unnecessary instead of dumping it down and getting it to the tight end who was who was open a lot. So there's going to be some there's going to be a learning curve there. He's going to have to go talk to his mentor, Tom Brady, and figure some things out. But on the other side, I mean, Oregon's who we thought they were. I mean, Bo Nix, respectfully, he's been in school for six years. He's pretty much seen everything that there is to have to have been seen in this way. So he should be able – I wasn't surprised that he was able to pick them apart and do a lot of things that they did. But a budding program in Colorado – an already established program in Oregon, this went the way that we expected to go. Again, I didn't expect only six points, but it, I expected more like 17 points. But I did expect Oregon to win and win big. So salute to Oregon. They did. They came. They did what they need to do. And they showed we are who we are. And we're going to show you who we are. Just because you're getting a little notoriety, we're going to take our claim back and show you who, what this Pac-12 is really all about. Before we shift to the next team here, did you have any issue with the Dan Lanning pregame speech that went viral because there's been a lot of pushback in the media guys like Ryan Clark and some other guys who have really had an issue with it I'm curious what your thoughts are about the pregame speech that everyone seems to be talking about honestly Brad no I didn't have I didn't take offense to it at all I mean they're fighting for click fighting for clicks we're fighting for wins yes because that is a marketing tactic that Dion does use to pull in players, to get people to come to the school, to hype up the students, to get everybody involved. And that's great on Dion's part. And it was great on his, on the Oregon coach's part to use that and use that as fuel for his team. That's what he should do. I mean, there, there was nothing wrong with how he presented it to his team. He wanted to come out. He wanted to make a statement. He wanted the cinder. It is a Cinderella story. If, or if Colorado had continued to win, this would be a Cinderella story, and that's exactly what we will call it and what it would be coined throughout college football as a Cinderella story because nobody's expecting, was expecting Dion to get, let's say, 10 wins if he won 10 wins or nine wins or whatever it was. That's unexpected. So it is a Cinderella story. He wanted to come out. He wanted to make a statement. He wanted to remind his team that is the same 1-12 in 12 team that they've always been and go out there and treat them as such, and his team obliged. No difference than Dion. I'm pretty sure he's good for giving his rallying speeches to rally the troops and do what he does well. And to get his guys played, it's just that those Oregon guys were just more experienced. They're bigger, faster, stronger. You know what I'm saying? Been together a lot longer. So they came and imposed their will. Nothing wrong with the speech at all. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Alex. I, I haven't been able to understand the pushback on the media. I, I just didn't. don't understand where all these guys are coming from. To me, it's no different than any other coach getting their guys fire up to play a game. I'm sure Dion makes similar speeches to his guys. It just so happened to go viral and and everyone seems to have a problem with it. But let's jump to Florida state gets a huge win, snapping a seven game losing streak against Clemson, who we know Clemson's been basically the top dog in the ACC for most of the past decade or so. Florida State came back when they were down 17-7 to in the first half. Jordan Travis 
hit a, a hit wide receiver Keon Coleman for a 24-yard touchdown that clinched the game. Absolutely clutch play. Jordan Travis has been one of the most fun players to watch in college football. Alex, this kid is special. He makes big plays in big moments. They have number 17 Duke, 18th ranked Miami at home, and then 22 ranked Florida on the road to end of the year. These are good teams, but they should be favored in all these games. They have a real shot at a college football playoff. A couple other games I wanted to note here, Alex. Alabama still doesn't look like a contender this year, but they got an impressive win over Ole Miss. Like what I saw from them, a big bounce back spot. Like I said, I'm not sure this is the Alabama of old, but that was a really nice bounce back win from them. I think they're going to have to win some ugly, more smash mouth games. They just aren't the same team that we've seen in years past. That explosive offense, high level quarterback play, big time wide receivers. This team just doesn't have that this year. It's going to have to be a different style of Alabama team that we've seen in recent years. Arkansas, Almost pulled off the upset over LSU. That ended up being a great game. Came down to the wire. Watch out for LSU. Everyone's kind of writing them off. One lost team here, but they're just hanging around, winning games. Just keep an eye on LSU. Still a pretty good football team. Number 14, Utah. Just keeps finding ways to win, even without their starting quarterback, Cam Rising. They beat number 22, UCLA, in a defensive battle and former five-star freshman Dante Moore, one of the highest recruited quarterbacks in the country for UCLA. Look, he's going to be a really good player, but he was not ready for that Utah defense just yet. My college football week four helmet sticker is going to go to Washington State quarterback Cam Ward. Ward was unbelievable against a very good defense, throwing for 404 yards finishing with five total touchdowns. He completed 28 of 34 passes and produced a pair of 150-yard wide receivers. They get the big win over then number 14 Oregon State. Look, he's the best quarterback you've probably never heard of, and he's been under the radar this year due to just the sheer amount of quarterback talent in the Pac-12 this year, but this guy is awesome, and if you get a chance to watch Cam Ward at Washington State, he is a lot of fun to watch, a really under-the-radar quarterback that's playing at a really high level right now. Alex, last week, I hit Charlotte plus 28 versus Florida. I told you guys that was going to be a letdown spot for Florida, a little bit of a trap game. Florida gets the win, but they didn't cover. I thought 28 points was too much. Alex, unfortunately, missed on the Commanders, plus six and a half versus the Buffalo Bills. The Bills got it rolling again. Alex, what about this week? Who's going to be your betting lock of the week? I am taking the Patriots plus seven over the Cowboys. The Patriots will right the ship. They'll get back on track. They'll be two and two. And the Cowboys faltering will be at two and two as well. Patriots defense has just gotten stronger and stronger every game. And if there ever was a game for a get right game for the New England running game, this is it. This is the homecoming for Zeke. He can show up and show up. I'm pretty sure that Bill is will have Zeke featured a lot in this game. And they're going to get that running game back on track. They're going to see a lot of things and counters that were run by the Arizona Cardinals that he's going to implement. And that defense is going to shut Dak down. And I also would say I would take a prop bet on plus two interceptions by Dak as well. I like it. I like it a lot. Throwing in the prop bet there, too. That's a good one, Alex. I like the value getting seven. Seven's a key number there in that matchup. And I don't think the Cowboys are a full touchdown better than the Patriots. Now, I know the Patriots offense has been a little bit ho-hum, if you will, but we talked about it earlier. Dallas's offense hasn't looked that great. The defense, like you pointed out, has struggled to stop the run. This is a, this is a good spot here. I like that take. I like the value there in New England in, in that matchup. I really like that bet. Oh, and speaking of, of bonus bets here, by the way, guys, we threw in another bonus bet. I forgot to mention Miami minus six and a half at the end of the show last week. Alex, I love the Tennessee Titans this week. 
I think this is a bounce back spot for the Titans against an offense that just doesn't look right right now while Joe Burrow is playing through that injury. It is clear that he is still in a lot of pain and really struggling. It's holding this offense back. This Titans team, after such an embarrassingly bad loss last week, I expect them to be dialed in and really focused for this game. I think Vrabel is going to get his guys up for this game, ready for this game. I'm taking the Titans plus two and a half versus the Bengals here in a big spot for them. But guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Once again, I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.